1: Welcome to Real GM Radio. I am Daniel Rue, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. Ended up doing something, honestly, I don't think I've ever really fully done in a podcast form before with the great Dan Feldman, now of Dunked On Prime where the two of us work through with a couple of different teams mostly focusing on the jazz but we talk about the pacers and bulls at length as well working through the process of how you evaluate what has happened with them so far we focused more on the successful the teams that have exceeded expectations than the ones who haven't and then how you utilize that information and everything else to build a plan for the trade deadline for next off season and it was a really fun exercise and Dan is a fantastic person to do it because we see things differently sometimes and so it can be and he's great at clarifying conversations so thought it was a really fun very different podcast. And appropriate that we did something different because we have a new and different and exciting sponsor for Real GM Radio in addition to a stalwart. And the new one is rocketmoney.com slash Real GM. You can check out Rocket Money. used to be known as Truebill. Great way to save yourself some money. Really excited about having them on board. And then our good friends at betonline.ag. Use the CLNS50 promo code to get yourself a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Episode runs a little bit under an hour. Lots Of really good stuff in here, and as I said, I think it's different than a lot of the other material that I've ever done. So I I really enjoyed it. Probably going to turn it into another piece because I was so inspired. Hope you enjoyed as well. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. We didn't line up that we were going to do this podcast until too long ago, and I realized that I had a perfect topic to discuss with you. I I think of I think of you as one of the more kind of like clear-eyed analysts kind of people in this specific space, but honestly in almost all of them to think about it with, and that is how to incorporate the inputs of this season, like let's say as a general manager, as the lead decision maker for a franchise, when developing a battle plan for the rest of the league year. Let's put it that way. So what do you do with the deadline? What do you do there? And, and you know, after that, and how do you go through it? And so this isn't necessarily like, you know, it's, it'll, be, it'll be prescriptions to a point, but the idea of how do you approach this? How do you work your way through the problems itself? Love it. I uh, I think this is a, a perfect time to talk about those things. And the team that I thought of as the lens, though, I'm guessing we'll end up getting to more than one, is the Utah Jazz. As we're recording this, they're currently playing the Golden State Warriors, shorthanded versions for both teams. But going into the game, going into it, the Jazz are 14 and 12. They have a positive net rating, plus 1.8. And they've had some struggles during the time that Mike Conley's been out. More specifically, the rotation's been a little bit garbled. So... I think the most interesting place to start is just, let's say you're in Danny Ainge's chair. What what are you considering? How are you evaluating what has happened so far?
0: Well, I'm thrilled. I've got a lot of players playing great, and um, even, maybe more importantly, this isn't always the case. I feel like I've got a, a winner as a coach. I've been so impressed with Will Hardy, the sophistication, the creativity of his offensive scheme. I think he's a, a step ahead, and... Um, I'm surprised it looks so good with this collection of players so quickly. It's a lot of... Parts that you can see how he put it all together maybe it's just the mother of all coincidences that they have a bunch of players that can fill all the roles and do all the things uh hardy is asking of his players um i don't think that's the case i think he has found a way to communicate what he wants and get everybody to figure out very quickly Uh, it's one thing to scheme up these game plans Uh, i'm not saying everybody can do that but more coaches can do that but the ability to implement it to get everybody on the same page has been so impressive to me
1: for sure and I, as we're seeing, you know, there's an, an interesting parallel with Will Hardy's former team, the Boston Celtics. When a squad puts more players out there, a higher proportion who can credibly space the floor, a lot of different elements of offense look better. And I think Kelly Owinnick and Larry Markinen deserve a lot of credit for that. I mean, they're actually doing it. And Walker Kessler, as I'm thinking about it, is, I mean, I would include Taylor Horton Tucker because his three-point shooting has been pretty ghastly. Um, but the Jazz aren't playing too many players who opponents don't respect at the three point line, whether they're you know hitting all of them this season or not. And what's interesting about Will Hardy, as you know, kind of evaluating him from the coach perspective, is generally speaking, when I think of a coach, like when especially a, a young new coach. I'm thinking primarily on the defense end. I'm thinking, are they playing hard? Are they executing? And the Jazz currently, as we're recording this, they're 26th in cleaning the glass defensive rating. But here's the important part: there, I don't know that 26th in cleaning the glass <laughs> defensive rating is so far below the like talent centric. You know, like I-, I think the I think the Jazz have some of the worst defensive talent in the league.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. Um... You know, Walker Kessler looks pretty good mm-hmm. um you know but you're not going to i mean rookies are are rarely good defenders although you know I, I think he's good enough to be an exception i think Jared Vanderbilt's a solid defender like there are parts there i'm not sure i'm so impressed with their defense same um but i i guess i could meet you in the middle of like, oh, I'm not freaking out because that's where they rank.
1: Right, and it is worth noting that the Jazz, um, one of the first things I look at with defenses, well, our opponent's shooting from three, and they're actually, they're, so they're number six, they have the sixth lowest opponent three-point field goal percentage but they also have an, an they're higher than the median in terms of long twos threes i think teams can control less than long twos but it's, it's that idea but i agree with you on Woolhardy, and the reason why is the kind of the process of their offense i think they've done mm-hmm. a really good job making a system that works the players seem fully bought in and they're executing it really well of course, you give plenty of credit in these circumstances to both the players and the coach. I mean, like Larry Markinen having the best offensive season of his career by off the cuff, a pretty significant margin. And yes, the numbers uh, agree with that. Second highest usage of his career, his second year in Chicago. I think we've kind of forget sometimes he had the ball in his hands a lot. And then by definitely the most efficient, and that's not just Making a ton of threes, it's marketed getting to the line more than he ever has, and making a higher proportion of his twos, and sure, the force spacing and everything there, and I, is that, and and I think that so that's the first part of it, and I agree with you. You you think about the coach, and you think about the overall part, the overall kind of placing that things are. Then I think the next element, and this is what is so so interesting for the Jazz, and we'll probably talk about a couple other teams, and we'll separate it in certain circumstances, which is—so as I'm evaluating this, it's—you're looking at, is this group, an ideally core, however defined—however the, the combined three Daniels of Ainge, Feldman, and LaRue are going to evaluate this— mm-hmm. Of basically who is driving it because there are circumstances that have happened before. I, I, I'm i trying to pinpoint an example. You actually have a better memory in this, so maybe you'll think of one where a team, a young team, exceeds expectations, but the reason they exceed expectations is not the young players. And uh,
0: yeah, the uh, the the Bucks of several years ago were always my classic example with that, where it was. Oh, um, well, I'm going to see if I can remember. It was Jared Dudley? I, I feel like had a, an excellent year for them. Um, Could have been O.J. Mayo at the time. There were a few vets who were, I'm looking it up now as I'm filibustering talking about, it was 2014, 2015. Um, And and so, you know, they, they had Giannis, they had Jabari Parker, they had Chris Middleton, they had Brandon Knight. Uh, but a lot Zaza Pachulia was the other one it was OJ Mayo and it was Zaza Pachulia it was Ursana Eliasova who was who knows what age and it was it was those vets propelling a lot of it um and then it, it so they were they went 500 a surprising 500 and then the next year they were 33 and 49.
1: Yeah that's that's a really great example I was I was hopeful and expecting that you would pull one and the reason why that matters is because you're trying to figure out the signal you're trying to figure out where is this group, where are we going, and can we be led there by the players who we expect to be there moving forward? And the good news for the Jazz is, I would say for the most part, their success has been driven by players that, if they want to, can be a part of the Jazz moving forward. But that also leads to a really important evaluation question because, you know, and other, uh, other elements of it that have been successful, like Jordan Clarkson's having a very nice offensive season. He's playing a larger role with the Jazz, in complete honesty, than I expected. And he's been, it's more in a distribution capacity. His individual scoring actually hasn't been that great so far. But, you know, him and Conley, you know, those guys are are in their 30s at this point. But Larry Markkinen and Colin Sexton and Vanderbilt and... To a lesser extent, Kessler, who's coming off the bench, like they're getting contributions from players that I assume, but I'm not sure Danny Ainge intended to be longtime Jasmine when he made the offseason moves that he made.
0: That's interesting because I, I almost view it the other way, where you let off talking about their, their offensive troubles without Mike Conley. Uh, Kelly Olinick also on the wrong side of 30, so important to their that's spacing, true. and ball movement and, and doing a lot of things. And and you mentioned Clarks. I feel like that's a, a decent chunk of it. Um, it's not a majority. Uh, it's only three players, and uh, you know, Markenden's doing so much. Um, you can throw in Malik Beasley, too. Vanderbilt, those are younger guys. Um, yeah, I, I – I think that is a concern for the Jazz. I'm not terribly worked up about it. I don't think it's the worst thing to have good players, even older ones, helping you be better. Um, I think the Jazz are having a lot of fun. I I think, um, you know, one thing uh, I think it was Tony Jones first, and then some others have mentioned it. You know, the Jazz were very disinclined to trade Jordan Clarkson because they liked his his presence in the locker room, what he brought to this team. personality wise leadership wise as, as a veteran and i don't think you can discount that uh, this team looks connected did they they uh, look confident. They look like they're going about things the right way. And uh, I, to a certain degree, I, I trust that if the Jazz really feel Jordan Clarkson was a big part of that, they probably know what they're talking about.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's completely fair. And the challenge for Ainge is the kind of the So I, I agree with you. And I think it's it's such an important point that you don't need everyone to be the same age. You don't need everyone to be young if you're a rebuilding team. Like you can have supporting players, you can have even key players who are a, on a significantly different timeline you can make that work the challenge becomes if you are dependent on those players and then they become worse then so go you ahead. said something real interesting are the you said the word rebuilding are the jazz rebuilding right now Unclear.
0: <laughs> yeah, unclear yeah yeah I mean, that's obviously what we're talking about right that's kind well, of, it's, part I mean, of i mean i think question. that's
1: yeah well that that is part of the question and it's basically where yeah and that and that actually ties in really well with with the next question i want to ask but I'll, let's finish this one first which is basically let's say whether it's due to their contracts expiring and them leaving or them getting older you know this is Connolly's age 35 season this is clarkson's age 30 both of them are under some form of contract for next year clarkson has a player option has has a pretty heavy partial guarantee. If if you're going to argue, and I think that's a very fair case, that those players have been important to their offensive success, and remember, offense is where the Jazz have really had their success so far this year, then you ask two questions. One is, do we have players on the roster who can step into those or similar or even fundamentally different but functionally replaceable roles? And or, can we find players on a version of the open market that can do it or is this more of a like we need to draft somebody and i think that's the thorniest question of this area for the jazz is if they want a primary ball handler however you whether that player is six foot one or six foot seven or seven foot two if that is something that they need Whether it's two years out or three years out or whatever, it is possible but difficult to get that player deeper in the draft. Like, there have been success stories. I mean, you could point to various players over time, but there are two problems. One is it takes those players a long time. And incidentally, the guy who ironed that in my heart and my basketball analytics mind was Mike Conley. Like, Mike Conley, a prospect I loved. But it took him a while to find his stride. It was, I mean, I rec- as I recall it, it was his fourth or fifth year. So you could try to bring in somebody through a trade or something else who is m- closer to that point, which is incidentally not something that Danny Ainge did in those trades. Or you can think that maybe somebody, you already have somebody who can do it.
0: I don't think they have somebody who can do it. I agree. I think- I think uh as Conley Clarkson O'Linick age out if you're relying on this current roster, um I don't think that's Colin Sexton. I don't think it's Nikhil Alexander Walker, I don't think it's Taylor Horton Tucker. Uh, those are the players I'd I'd look to at least for. Well, maybe they can figure out I mean Jarrett Vanderbilt can, can pass fairly well for what he is, which is, you know, a hustle player. That's not where you're looking to have the the type of playmaking you're talking about. However and this is where a lot of my confidence in the Jazz long-term outlook comes from. In addition to how well they're playing this year, they have all these picks after trading Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell. You can use those picks, uh, draft someone. It's more bites at the apple, or you can trade them for someone. This this team is loaded on assets to go get that player. Even I, and you know what? Look at maybe Sexton. Sexton's a hard worker. Maybe I don't think he has the court vision. I don't, I just don't think he has the sense for it. Maybe he proves me wrong. I uh, like Nikhil Alexander Walker. Uh, you know, if you really, really want to squint, you could see signs like uh, of some of the uh, from a lower uh, floor, but see some of those so- growing pains that, like you mentioned, Mike Conley went through. And maybe he's got another level. Uh, Taylor Horton Tucker, another another uh, player with some talent for this who hasn't come as close as you'd hope to putting it together maybe maybe he somehow does like you could be proven wrong but my main source of confidence comes from all these draft picks all these assets to go get somebody whether it's in the draft or trade
1: to lay it out a little bit further as of right now the utah jazz are projected to have three first round picks one of them is their own which is of course unprotected it's their own pick then they have minnesota's unprotected and I would say my instinct is that's going to be in the teens whether it's in the teens because Minnesota made the like made the play in playoffs or it's in the teens because they didn't like that's probably about where it's going to be and then the other one is the least favorable of Houston, Brooklyn and Philly probably not going to be great. I think we're talking mid to late 20s there. One idea is you use those to move up in the twenty twenty three draft you know you basically right before they're made, and one of the models slash dreams there is the Donovan Mitchell trade, where the jazz moved up and they and they got donovan Mitchell and they ended up working out extremely well for them before leaving, and they of course got some assets in that as well and another is I think one of the ways you were getting at it is identifying a player either younger or honestly like in his prime who you can use those as the primary asset ballast to make a deal happen you might need to match salary there but the Utah Jazz have no problems matching salary like they have a lot of players they have a lot of players on their books they can do that a lot of different ways and one really useful tool for Danny Ainge which I'm sure he appreciates is that they have a lot of salary that isn't really that negative And so what that means is, or theoretically, you've articulated this before um, in Daily Dunks, they could open up cap space, which is the even higher utility version of that, because then the other team doesn't have to take on anything at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean,
0: it's so so many possibilities ahead for this team.
1: Plenty more to talk about with Dan Feldman, but first a message from a new sponsor for Real GM Radio, and that's... Rocket Money. Do you know how much your subscriptions really cost? Most Americans think they spend around $80 a month on subscriptions when the actual total is closer to $200 or more. That's right, you could be wasting hundreds of dollars each month on subscriptions you don't even know about. And there's this app that I love using that takes care of that for me. It's called Rocket Money, formerly known as Truebill. The app shows all your subscriptions in one place and then cancels for you whatever you don't still want. Rocket Money can even find subscriptions that you didn't know you were paying for. You may even find out that you're being double-charged for a subscription. To cancel a subscription, all you have to do is press Cancel, and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. So get rid of useless subscriptions with Rocket Money now. Go to rocketmoney.com realgm, R-E-A-L-G-M. Seriously, it can save you hundreds per year. That's rocketmoney.com realgm. Cancel your unnecessary subscriptions right now at rocketmoney.com realgm. But I want to go back to the point that you made about rebuilding. Because I think I, I, I to some degree, put the cart before the horse. I also think that well, the questions we've already answered are, in some ways, the more interesting questions. But there is a foundational one that comes before this. And it's not a Danny Ainge decision. To me, it is an ownership decision, which is defining mm-hmm. success. And mm-hmm. that is, what kind of team, what, what do we want to be, what are we going to focus on? Because it it's not always everything. You know, you're trying to get, trying to get good at some point in time is likely to lead to better and worse, but it does lead to a lot of important marginal decisions because how much money are you going to spend on veteran players? How aggressively are you going to try to tear down or not tear down? Those things are really good and are really important to know. And it's not a general manager decision, typically. It's an ownership decision. And Really, if you want to go on the, the two dichotomous extremes here, you have the banners fly forever, championship or bust, and you have the Ted Leonsis, we want to be relevant, we want to get in as close as we can. And the difference between those two, if in terms of the directive given to Danny Ainge, is actually not only extremely important, but the difference in Utah's specific situation is pretty
0: severe. Very. Um, if it's the former, where this is championship or bust, I might say, wow, uh, I've got Laurie Markinen looking like an all star. He's had some confidence issues in the past. He, he's feeling great right now. But if it's, you know, he could stumble, I, I might sell high on him. Um, like a supersized version of what the 76ers did with Michael Carter Williams uh, when he was rookie of the year. I don't think, if I were the owner, that's not the course I would choose um it seems to me everybody in utah is having a blast with this team which uh not for nothing has a better record than the timberwolves you trade rudy gobert as minnesota makes his win now move and you're still better than them that's going to be so satisfying uh this team the team looks like it's having fun the fans look like they're having fun and honestly to me i'm just playing this out i'm thrilled i have a, a good team right now i don't know how good probably not good enough to win a championship uh anytime soon without some really lucky breaks but i'm thrilled to have a good team and all these assets and all these possibilities going forward and i i wouldn't be looking to say oh we got it we got to go to championship contention that's got to be the goal i i'm just gonna enjoy having a good team this year and endless possibilities
1: right and there's also a whole lot of middle ground and and to me the piece of information like the the line that a lot of times I think is is being u- that you can use is hosting playoff series and potentially making a conference finals. Like if you not saying you have to make it every year, but if you have a credible chance to win cuz remember making a conference finals means you've won two series. So even if you got injury luck on one of them, you still you still beat a credible team at some point. And that's a it's a high line. I mean generally speaking, there are Three or four pretty damn good teams in a in a conference at a time, and then and if you're below that, like some other teams we might discuss at some point, like for me, it, generally speaking, the juice is not worth the squeeze. Like you're just if if you don't think you can get to that kind of a point, then I, if I were owning a team, I'd be like, ah, let's do something else. But I think the Jazz are interesting on that respect because they have. A lot of—they have good players, they have some young guys, and as you mentioned, they have all these other assets. They also could potentially wield cap space, I think, of 2024 as more notable. Not that Utah has been a free agent destination, but they can use that for unbalanced trades and everything else. So in some ways, it then boils down to, after you've defined success— kind of working through some of the young guys that you have and how do they fit in. And then that's where you really start to get it, get into the part of this that we can't dwell on too much because it's dependent on information we don't have. And that's for the players who are kind of outside of that. Oh, Especially with the Jazz, like I'll bring up Malik Beasley as a specific one. So, like Malik Beasley this year, he's hitting a ton of threes coming off the bench, but taking eight threes a game and shooting thirty nine percent on them. And Beasley, I, I, I've been interested in him. You know, even going back to his time at Florida State, like I just thought he was thought he was an interesting player, and he has a team option for next year. So people will say, oh, well, what would you do with Malik Beasley? And the answer is it depends on what somebody else would offer. And yep. I, I don't know. Like, so if I were in Danny Ainge's chair, I could give you a very specific answer. But I am not, so I can't.
0: Yeah. Um, on the other side, I think one of the most telling trades uh, from Danny Ainge with the Celtics about a hint of their direction is when he traded for Isaiah Thomas. Uh, this was a, a Celtics team. This was when the Celtics were first on the come up. And, you know, it seemed like, hey, they got all these long-term assets from uh, that Nets trade mostly, but from other other deals too, and they were in really good shape for a long-term build. And he used a moderate first-round pick to go get Isaiah Thomas and make that team even better And Isaiah Thomas turned out to be even better than anybody expected when Boston got him. Um, I think it's more likely the jazz go that direction that they find somebody who's you know old enough to be available young enough to have a chance to stick with the team a little bit um but doesn't doesn't veer you off course long term where you're, you're not you know going in to make a big splash and putting all these assets together where you still have a ton of assets after the trade that that's the deal i'm watching for
1: that's really interesting and, and i agree with you that it could be a an important important kind of Inflection point to watch with the Jazz, and those trades are—you know—you're you're not going to get somebody as productive as Isaiah Thomas was in his best stretch for the for the Celtics that often. But there often are players who are. Marginalized, who are in an awkward situation that that you can call upon, and Isaiah was in this weird middle ground, which and I think Danny Ainge has identified well at a couple different points in the past, where he could be helping another team more than he's helping his current team, and doesn't have enough equity with his current team for them to really squeeze. And mm-hmm. though that's actually typically the best way to to get a deal, and it was I was interesting. I was reading some reporting this afternoon on the Spurs with Jakob Pertl. Which in some ways you would see as a similar situation, but actually if they're interested in re signing him and he's interested in re signing is exactly the opposite, which is their the Spurs might be thinking about this from a position of strength, where it's like the, we don't want to trade him, but we will if you bull us over. Like, that's not when you make a trade. You, you Unless the player is so awesome that you're, basically, you're making that bet. Generally speaking, it's the, yeah, we like him, but that's the circumstance that you want to actually strike up a deal. And Ainge, you know, it's interesting we're using the Jazz for this because he has such a track record, for good and for ill, of, you know talent evaluation for betting on his board. I mean, the most famous of that, of course, being what ended up becoming Jason Tatum, where he traded down and basically with the idea, it appears that he had Tatum in an equal tier or even above Markel Fultz, mundo on that. I was not correct on that. But the point that you made by bringing up Isaiah, especially because it's Danny Ainge, also brings to mind the other reason why the Isaiah stuff made sense, and that's a parallel with the Jazz's, when you have enough equity in other teams' futures, and yes, I believe that those Nets teams were worse than either the Cavs or the Wolves will be moving forward, it makes it more palatable to push yourself out of the dregs earlier.
0: Yes, absolutely. Uh, I'm sure to a degree, how much, however much all of the Jazz fans are enjoying this, there's probably a little disappointment on some level they're not in the Victor Wenbanyama sweepstakes. Uh, He's a super exciting, talented prospect, generational, like even the possibility of getting him. Uh, I I think especially hardcore Jazz fans were willing to tank this season. Uh, I think that's true of any team that looked like it was going to be bad. But the Jazz long-term can have their cake and maybe eat it too. They can be a good team and still get high draft picks. Uh, Just because you and I don't think the Timberwolves and Cavs will be that bad, there's still a chance, right? You can root for your team. Uh, There is a compromise on your own picks, but you can root real hard against the Timberwolves and Cavs and and hope for the best there, and uh, maybe the bottom falls out on those teams. Those picks go out a long way. There's always a chance.
1: It's also a diversified portfolio, which is good because that Mm -hmm. means that things can happen in different franchises. And there's also the randomness of, you know, injuries. You never want them to happen. I mean, maybe sometimes you might for another franchise, but as a fan, you don't. And one element of it that can be a little bit different for, for Ainge is that a lot of those picks are deeper in the future. You know, you have these like, Double pick, you yeah, have picks from both Cleveland and Minnesota in twenty seven. Like that's far enough out right now that you you, you could theoretically trade them, but it's kind of hard. But the the dream for those and the most interesting to me with this is actually Houston with Brooklyn's picks. Is you've already built back up mm-hmm. and you have these in addition, and yep. so you might mu- you might not be getting Jay- Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown with them. Like that that's a distinct possibility, but maybe you're getting a like. Mid-lottery pick that becomes a low-end starter or sixth man on a team that is getting better. And that could be the, a way that the Jazz uses it too. And that doesn't necessarily have to be using the pick, though that leads to cost control. It could be trading the pick for somebody who fills that role who's a little more established.
0: Yes, I I think trading the pick is often the move there, Um, just because if you're already at that level, integrating a a young player into the team is easier said than done, as I'm sure you're uh, quite familiar with with all your time uh, seeing the Warriors.
1: Yes, the Warriors are, of course, dealing with that right now, including as we record this podcast. Um, So... I mean, I want to I want to work through a little bit with some other situations, but is there anything else on the Jazz that you feel like we haven't quite gotten to in this? Is Laurie Markinen
0: going to be an all-star this year, and how much does that boost his trade value, just the perception, regardless of if, if he plays you know it let's just say he's keep well he's gonna play however he plays the rest of the season but is he an all-star and you know when you have that all-star label that increases your your value and and that could go multiple ways right it could mean the jazz feel like oh we can't get rid of him or it could mean another team's gonna offer so much uh it's a problem i'd love to have if i were the jazz uh but do you think he's gonna be an all-star
1: my inclination is yes And the variable beyond Markkanen's play for the next month and a half is the more established players, whether they play enough and are are there. Like, you know, Kawhi Leonard's all-star resume is going to be worse for this season than Larry Markkanen's is, but Kawhi Leonard has been better in his past. You know, Paul George, we will have to see with that. But I think Markkinen has been one of the. Uh, it's still twelve. I know you. I know you wrote about this for Daily Dumb, which is total crap that it's still twelve and it's not thirteen or even higher than that. But I think I think Markkinen and he'll be in the conversation. The other potential pitfall, and again, part of this is deserving versus actual, is if the Jazz are one of the like if they have one of the six best records, there could be a <laughs> parallel with Demontis Sabonis here, both both previously and potentially for the Kings, where the best player on a, on a successful team almost always gets somebody in, yeah, and so and Markin has the definitely the best case for any member of the Utah Jazz, so so that is a way a way to do it.
0: Yeah, I didn't even think about the, uh, I mean, you know, uh, the. yeah, that's, uh, I didn't even think about that, that they're going to have to pick a Jazz player if their record is a certain level, although, you know, it's so bunched up in the West, there are. Uh, you know, multiple good teams. As I look at it, you know, coming in the night, the Jazz are ninth. Uh, that, you know, that's not a spot where... No, they'd, have, errant,
1: they'd, you know, they'd have to they'd be have, fifth. I think fifth or better to get an auto all-star. I think it'd have to be higher than that for an auto. But obviously, we
0: definitely, the higher up you are, the more likely it is coaches are just like, we got to pick a player from that team.
1: Oh, okay. Here's the last question I want to ask you. If you were running the Jazz, who, if anybody, would be untradeable or functionally untradeable? Like, who, who would be who would you basically not really be listing on
0: i mean on one hand nobody cuz that's just not how i would run the team and also i think that's especially appropriate here um but i'll just say i'll just generally go back to what i said before i want to have a good team this year i want to enjoy this i think we're enjoying this and i'm not looking to sell um and so i would think the odds of getting sufficient return for Lowry Markinen are low right I I would think I would think that a a team that wants him is going to be looking more long term like Mike Conley or somebody like that you know there's a team that really wants him I'm willing to take a step back and trade somebody his age um but I think the odds of of getting sufficient return for for are just too low but I would listen at least
1: The only other thing I'll add is I would be listening more intently on Colin Sexton than I think Danny Ainge will be, because I just think Colin Sexton is both a useful guard at a useful price, but also his flaws on a really good team of being a pretty weak distributor, more of a score—I mean, he's just never really been that assist guy—is— Hard to reconcile, like, but Colin Sexton making let's call it eighteen million a year be after this year. I think that's totally worth it for him. It's just that if the idea is he, he's not your lead ball handler as a starter there, mm-hmm. and he's not your lead scorer, and he's not your lead defender. So to me, if you have a guard, especially honestly, if that guard is six foot one, who doesn't check any of those three boxes. I'm I'm gonna try to sell high, like that's just how I am on basically all of them.
0: Yeah, I mean, he had been coming off the bench earlier in the year, and and um, you know he's, he's somebody who can take a good number of shots, be very efficient on them, um, create his own shot. Try- you know, I, yeah, his his passing vision is not there. Um, but I'm not, I'm not so hung up by that. Obviously Lee limits his value, it limits his ability to star, but to be a very helpful player, I, I think he still can be. And, um, I guess maybe because of his scoring numbers, I, I think there's a, a decent chance that there are NBA teams that value him more than you and I do. Sure. But I don't think, you know, I don't think it's unreasonable to be pretty fond of having him on your team.
1: Absolutely. Let's do a quickier version of this with the Indiana Pacers. The Pacers, as we record this, are, I think they're 13-12. and 12. They fell tonight to the Minnesota Timberwolves. Maybe they're 13-11. Anyway, the record part of it isn't as important. If you're, now, now we're Kevin Pritchard, kind of the same basic process on questions.
0: Are we Kevin Pritchard or are we Herb Simon? Wow.
1: Well, let's do, let's do both. <laughs>
0: well, I get the idea of not wanting to rebuild i think um more so than you and nate i i'm not championship or bust i don't I, think you guys are absolutely i'm just saying i, I will say I, as
1: a point of clarification for those who listen to both podcasts i'm less championship or bust than nate but i'm also not that far off so yeah you know like the thing that i really don't value and actually i value less than him is being like a six seed i don't give a crap about that
0: well see i do i i think that's satisfying um uh, rather win a championship of course but i think making the playoffs is better than not making the playoffs i think making the play in tournament is better than not making the postseason at all like i I, my thing is once you're not in the postseason then it doesn't really matter much I, i don't I don't think you feel better with thirty and you, th- games as opposed to twenty.
1: And you, and you, as as we know, your playoffs not play it like no postseason. Post- okay, I think okay. That, I, you know, I,
0: be, making the playoffs is better. But if you're playing postseason basketball, I think that is something
1: meaningful. Okay, okay. Lots more to discuss with Dan Feldman, but first a message from BetOnline.ag. Bet Online remains your number one source for all your sports betting for football and basketball this season. You'll find all the latest odds, team matchup information, player news, and game trends at Bet Online. Always your continued source for sports wagering information. Bet Online features live betting, free contests, and live scores for almost any sport or game imaginable. With well, the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite NFL, NBA, NHL, MMA, tennis, boxing, and even golf games and events. So head to betonline.ag to join and use the CLNS50 promo code to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Make sure to use the promo code CLNS50 to receive your rewards at BetOnline, where the game starts. The Pacers are a good way of, of talking about a question that we didn't ask as I didn't frame as cogently didn't really talk about it at all with the Jazz, which is the kind of the big counter the other way, which is if we sold off, how bad could we actually be? And I think that is an important question for the Jazz, but it's actually more interesting with the Pacers because of Tyrese Halliburton. Because any sell-off that the Pacers do, including the rumored Buddy Heald and Miles Turner, you still have Tyrese Halliburton. And you still have Andrew Nemhart, and you presumably still have Benedict Matherin and Chris Duarte isn't as much in that court, especially as well as, as Ben Matherin has played. So to me, if the, if, the pacers did that their defense would be terrible and it's been pretty bad overall in the first place but you'd still have like an offensive identity they're currently 18th i think they'd be a little bit worse because they'd take away two the, they take away a couple of their good players but the idea that they like they're already let's call it 6 7 wins ahead of the dregs of the league the idea that they could drag down into that with unless you're going to pull a thunder with shea with halliburton i think it's unlikely they'd be that horrible i agree and you've also
0: already banked uh, 13 wins and so obviously at the end of the year that's not a big number but when you start with that you're gonna f- stumble into some wins later i think both these teams have lost their ability to bottom out it's not too late to get a middling lottery seed uh if you try really really hard especially i i, I agree with you that the jazz have a better way to get there if they wanted to but I think it's too late for either one of them to completely bottom out.
1: The other reason, in some ways, the Pacers are a less interesting iteration of this is because another big question that we can't answer, which is, what does Miles Turner want after this year? And I, my inclination, and I'd love to see if you see, feel the same way, is that if he really wanted out, if he, if he said, I'm not going to resign with you— it would be foolish for the Pacers to be retaining him this far. So my assumption is he hasn't told them that, though that in no way, shape, or form means that if given an open market, he's definitively coming back.
0: Yeah, uh, he, he did go on Woj's podcast and, and like openly discuss should the Lakers trade for him? Yes. Uh, analyzed it just like you and I might analyze it. That was uh, that was something, and I he did not sound surprised by the question, as in it might be the type of question that he or or somebody representing him want was you know so from him somewhere down the line, it sounded like the type of question he wanted to answer, wanted to discuss.
1: Right. Yeah, I think that's a, a fair way of putting it. And the so the the hard thing for the Pacers is. What they need the most, kind of, if if the idea is you're pushing forward with a similar group, the thing that they need the most is the hardest to get, and that is starter caliber or above wings. It's just, Mm -hmm. it's hard. Whether, Whether you're trying to do it through paying guys in free agency, restricted or unrestricted, or drafting players, you can, like, you can find them, but that's really tough. And it's tough in the draft too. So, like, even if you bought him out, like, are you gonna draft the right player? How many how many arrows are you gonna shoot at that target? But the good news for them is they have some players that I think have games that fit really well when you add in other good players. It was my single favorite thing about Tyrese Halliburton watching the film on him in college, and I think it's gone even further than that with his success in the pros, is that you can play him alongside a lot of different flavors of strong, strong talent, and it'll work well. And I would say Benedict Baffrin, preliminarily, is the same kind of story.
0: Absolutely. Um, I mean, we really might be hitting the point with Tyrese Halliburton. I like the same thing about him that you did coming into the league. We might be at the point where he's the really strong, talented player. I did not see this from him, this ability to be the point guard, the center of the attack. I, I just thought all his complementary skills were were so awesome, and I, I loved exactly what you said. His ability to plug in at anywhere, but as the leader of the attack, he's pretty darn good at that too.
1: Right, and it, I don't want to do Halliburton a disservice by saying that he's a complementary player because he can be better than that. Though, like we got Nate and I got asked this in a mailbag recently, and I said. They were like, what's the realistic best case? And what I said is all NBA, but not M- like MVP conversation. That is really good. Like, that is a really, really good player. And again, defining success as the Pacers currently do, like, that's, you're not going to do, you're, you're, you're thrilled with that. And if you're championship or bust, then you, you probably want to add, maybe add in somebody that has some really high ceiling, even if they're not guaranteed to make it. But you probably want to do that anyway. That's just the way it works. And, the Pacers don't have the kind of draft equity that the Jazz do. It's a, it's an unfortunate thing. They are getting Cleveland's first. If they make the playoffs, they are getting Boston's first, which is going to be a LA late first, let's put it that way, but they don't have any any future ones, and then they have second round obligations either way. So for, for them, a part of it is this idea of, well, where does everybody fit in? But they're in kind of a good spot miles turner, notwithstanding, because they can also just see where the offers come in and the marginal difference for them, like I think playing out the season isn't a bad scenario for them at all.
0: No, they don't have the the draft equity of the jazz. But uh, they have the stronger, young player base. I mean, uh, we d- we just gushed about Halliburton. Uh, Matherin is a long-term keeper. I, I love where he's at. Uh, I love where he's going. Um, Miles Turner is young enough and good enough to fit into that if he stays. Obviously, like you mentioned, he uh, has, he's on an expiring contract. Uh, and and Nemhard's playing very well. Yes. Um, You know, I don't know exactly what his upside is. You know, he's already exceeded probably – well, he definitely has exceeded my expectations. I'm not sure if he's quite exceeded what I thought his upside is, uh, but he's close, um, and that's already – uh, and, then, and then there are some other, like, interesting young players, depending on your taste of, like, Jalen Smith or an Aaron Neesmith, uh or Duarte. You know, nothing, like, terribly exciting, but they're there. But just th- those three players, uh, you know, uh, of uh, Halliburton, Matherin, and if he's staying, Miles Turner, and presumably... The, the Pacers can figure out something with Turner by the trade deadline, whether that's uh, just an idea that he's likely to stay or you're going to renegotiate and extend him, or you're going to trade him If it looks like he, he's not willing to commit, uh, you'll get something from that roster slot. Uh, so I, I think the, the Pacers already have a lot more in place.
1: They do. And I brought up that they need wings. But the good thing for the Pacers is if Miles Turner's staying, they don't need a whole lot else. Like they have a, and- lot, a lot of pieces in place and Dang. when you say
0: wings you, you mean you're talking about like a bigger wing than than ben matherin yes right? i'm
1: talking right. six foot like eight like six, six foot nine ones, right? yes. yeah six foot eight six foot nine can defend the other players like and, and maybe kendall brown in time could become a kind of more I, I don't think of him as like a starter level player necessarily but could become a rotation level type of guy which is which is good but you know starting caliber players and what's good for the pacers is they could fill a lot of different niches like it could be a lower usage like maybe you even go more extreme like some of the guys that OKC has had over the years, though ideally you want somebody with more shooting than that, especially because Hal Burton's a really good passer to good shooters, and some some guys who can help create more of a defensive identity for this team who can guard those assignments. And the the other thing, and then Benedict Matherin might be there in time. I'd love for them to have a more reliable point of attack defender, so you don't have to put Halliburton in that matchup. It's generally, I, I've moved to the point now where I don't think any star guard should be doing that because it's just too much to ask.
0: You mean during the regular season? Yes, right? yes, like yes. You're open to stars doing that in the playoff yeah,
1: if if they if they're actually
0: good at it. Yeah. I'm blanking. Like, uh, well, maybe not so much anymore. But uh, you know, we weren't that far from like Chris Paul being really good at him. Yeah. You know, yes. It's probably telling that I.
1: Or like, I mean, if you, like you want to go to the most extreme, LeBron James in his best years. Sure. He could do whatever he wanted, and that would be fine. And I, so I, I think there's a lot of a lot of thing like the Pacers have a lot of different ways they can like they can incorporate talent whatever that talent does which is very useful but you have to actually procure it which is an important part of the question oh uh, i wanted to ask you you know there are 28 other teams in the league are there any teams that are that because we the two we discussed in depth are teams that exceeded their preseason expectations are there any that have fallen out or fallen below their expectations that you think are worthy of a version of this exercise
0: from the opposite direction you're saying yes yeah the bulls the bulls the bull. and and this is this is uh gonna be tough to do because i think you're on the same boat as me we didn't I, at least i didn't believe in their plan in the first place sure so it's it's much harder i accept like if i were the gm who thought yeah we need nikola vucevic and we need demar de rosen and this is gonna make us a really good team and it's not quite working. It'd be really hard for me to all of a sudden admit defeat on that and, and turn around. Um, as someone who was, who did not believe in uh, everything they gave up to get Vucevic, and I was very against the move for Demar Derozan, but I'm completely willing to admit I was wrong on that one. That turned out well. Uh, but still, not down the Vucevic move. Like I like a lot idea of, and I, at least if Zach Levine can get healthy. And I guess it depends on all their health. But I like the possibility of a team where you have Zach Levine and Lonzo Ball and, you know, I'd love to say uh, Franz Wagner and, and Wendell Carter Jr., but it won't be them. But oh, boy. Where you're, yeah. Where where you have that possibility. Like, I just didn't think this team was going to be good enough with DeRozan and Vucevic. And DeRozan's playing awesome. And it's still not good enough. Um, I just I just don't see it. I just don't think it's there. And maybe it's too late to pivot. Um Although, you know, there's talk of that that Lakers trade, right, where you could do DeRozan and Vucevic for the two first-round picks, and um, it's easy to speculate unprotected, although any—I mean, I've heard this discussed, as with some light protections, whatever that means, right, that might mean one thing to the Lakers and a different thing to the Bulls, and when they sit down and actually talk about it, they're on different pages of what light protections are. Or what? Um, so yeah, I don't know. Those are my broad thoughts of it. It's easy to uh, turn around and say blow it up, but I never liked this plan in the first place.
1: <laughs> if you're going to ask me if a team should trade Nikola Vucevic, the answer is almost always going to be yes, and the answer <laughs> is yes in this case. And the, you brought up protection with the Lakers, and I think we real GM radio. I would guess, generally speaking, our listeners are are more in in the obsessive to detail level, like like the two of us are. The problem with protection negotiations on the Lakers' perspective is that it's very difficult to put protection and and for the other team to be sure that those picks are going to actually convey because they don't they owe so much stuff in the future that it's a big risk
0: yeah i mean you just have to look at it as an upside play on those picks which you're not gonna get if they're too heavily protected
1: but but it's even it's even the basic where it's like if they tried to top five protect it well then it's gonna then the chance if it if it goes in those top five the team in question which i guess in this case would be the bulls gets nothing it's not even like oh you like you're maybe you get some seconds but like They don't – because you can't – because of the rules, you can't trade further out into the future. So if the idea is you're getting two, they basically can't really be protected.
0: Right. If you want to make sure you get one the way you would do it is something like the 2027 pick, it's going to be top five protected. If it's in the top five, then you're going to get 28 or 29. Um, Obviously, you can't get both because that would be back-to-back years. But you, you could increase the odds of getting one right you could work it that way um or maybe it's you could you could even do if it doesn't convey in 2027 then it's unprotected in 2029 i think you could do that
1: i think you yeah i believe you could
0: right where or if it does convey in 2027 then it's top maybe the protection is even better for the lakers i mean there's room for some compromise you seem pretty open to this regardless where you just think yeah the bulls are going nowhere absolutely trade bucevic probably trade derozan too
1: Derozan, it's it's so I I feel sympathetic to him especially, but also to Arturis and and the Bulls front office where it's like they on him they made the right bet and it worked out really well. And if, if you're DeRozan,
0: sympathetic to him, you'll send him to the Lakers and not keep him stuck in Chicago.
1: Well, and that's the idea is is I don't believe too much in the do what the do what the player wants as the general manager because you 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 have under these obligations, but. You can ask the more general question of like, does he does he want to be here? And I think the, my instinct is Rosen would want to be in the place that he can compete and you know for a championship or whatever whatever the best level of compete is. And I my instinct is the Lakers with him would be better than the Bulls with him, health permitting. And DeRozan, you know, he's thirty three at this point. He'll turn thirty four next off season. So he's been excellent, but there is this idea of how how much longer am I going to be this awesome and players don't usually think that way but it's useful and the other part for the bulls in in terms of of how hard this is of a decision to make is the idea and this is why I would be more firmly on the idea if you could get a real an offer with some real heft to it for DeRozan is what is their path to getting significantly better than the healthiest version of them was last year and the healthiest version of the bulls last year was interesting they were they were better than good. I thought better maybe. than I thought too and it's presumably Desunmu and Patrick Williams in some capacity getting a lot better. And I like Desunmu, but the idea that he's going to be like a star is probably too far. And Patrick Williams has disappointed and players do get better. But the the timeline issues here of those guys, you know, if, they, if they're if they going to take a big step, it's probably going to take a couple of years. DeRozan's 33, Fuoch is 32, Zach Levine is 27, but who the hell knows how old his knees are at this point. So the idea that waiting is going to solve stuff who knows maybe at some point Lonzo Ball can actually contribute more than he has this year but that's not a bet that I'm willing to make and so that's where I get to with the Bulls is the idea of opportunity cost like what are we losing out on and I thought is like a a fun feisty maybe could win around in the playoffs team over like each year over the next couple and then DeRozan he has two more years under contract Levine of course has a lot more but I don't know if he's involved in these discussions and negotiations and Um, and so like for me if i were owning the team if i were running the team that's not enough to say we're gonna keep it together under no matter what the offers are
0: here's the problem um i guess i'm thinking more from the front office perspective selling it to the owner but even as the owner okay you trade derozan and vucevic for draft picks let's say you do that hypothetical lakers trade then what you still have zach Levine. you still have lonzo ball these are not cheap players although uh, under the new uh tv contracts maybe lonzo ball will be some you know relatively you still have patrick williams who's has upside right he still has this upside um he has shown flashes he's he's got a long way to go though and where are you going like you, you're not you're not tanking you're not good you're not cheap like where are you going and uh, I, might, I think there might be a temptation to say, yeah, we don't necessarily think this plan is working with DeRozan and Vucevic, but if everybody gets healthy by the end of the year or, or soon enough for us to make the playoffs and we get in healthy, we might be an interesting team. And I'll take that chance rather than just this unknown. Like, where, where would we be going?
1: Yeah, I think that's really fair.
0: I think that's one of the reasons. There are two big reasons why you don't see teams blow it up often when they're this far down the road one is because it's often the same general manager who put it together and believes in these players and two it's it's hard to do a complete change of course and if you're only doing a partial change of course where does it get you yeah
1: no half measures yeah any other team situations around the league that you think are interesting merit merit discussion for a brief a brief bit not as long as we spent on these other ones (laughs) is there any consideration of this for the heat i don't think they can tear it down enough like that's yeah. the that's the fundamental problem there is they're they're kind of too they're too pot I, I pot committed is a is a logical fallacy, but the idea that a bam well, out of bio is so, well, it is to an extent. Like it, if, if you're like I put too much in, the I, that part of it I put too much in so I can't pull it out. Like sometimes sometimes that's still the right strategy. But when you still have BAM out of bio, when you still have some of their young players there isn't really a solution and what's painful for the heat the other timeline challenge here is Tyler Hero is functionally untradeable during the season due to the due to the form of his contract like the poison pill so you can't like when you when you extend a player and this is something that the warriors are dealing with to an extent with Jordan Poole and the heat with with Hero to a to a large contract you're you're theoretically making them tradable and ideally more tradable the next year and beyond but you can't do anything really with them right now so a heat sell off unless you're willing to include bam is basically trading jimmy trading Kyle Lowry maybe trade Duncan Robinson it's like okay i don't i don't think that puts you in a fundamentally like it puts you in a different place in terms of your books but i don't think it puts you like at the it gives you doesn't give you great draft pick
0: yeah and they also have the the excuse that i mean i guess the other teams do to a degree but uh of you know, we're not healthy. Yes. And I also think they've shown an ability. You know, this team or a similar enough team to be really good more recently. Like you know how it can work. Uh you know, I, I don't expect them to do this. I don't think they would. Just a little curious about them if we were throwing out one more team.
1: Yeah. It'll be a a lot to consider moving forward, and I will thank you so much for taking the time.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: Thanks again to Dan Feldman for taking the time to come on. You can read and listen to his excellent work in the daily dunks that are a part of Dunked on Prime. He does it as a daily email, some of which are free, but a lot of which are for paid subscribers only, and releases them in audio form as well for those who prefer that. I read it, but it's great both ways. And you can also... Follow him on Twitter at Dan Feldman NBA D A N F E L D M A N NBA. Love having him on, and love having him as a, I guess we'll call it, co-worker, partner in the process. He's such an amazingly dedicated worker and analyst, and I, I, it's it's been great to, to deal with him more often than I did. We've been friends for a long time. If you want to support Real GM Radio, there are a lot of different ways you can do it. You can subscribe and download the podcast in whatever podcast player you choose. It can be Spotify, it can be Apple Podcasts, really wherever, and if you don't see it somewhere where you want podcasts, let me know. I will pass it up the chain... It is not a problem I can fix, but it is a problem I can pass to people who can fix it. That is the way these things work. You can also help other people find the show by leaving a rating and review in the podcast player if you're choosing or word of mouth, social media, just telling other people about it. We really do appreciate that. And then the single most important thing you can do for this podcast and any other that has them is to check out our sponsors. And so for us, that is checking out Rocket Money, the new sponsor for Real GM Radio. That's in even more important time with this show and others to check out a sponsor. So you go to rocketmoney.com realgm, R-E-A-L-G-M, and you can, can see it's a great way to, to save yourself some money. And you can also check out betonline.ag. Use the CLNS50 promo code to get yourself a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. You can also check out my other work. I, I've already brought up Dunked On and Dunked On Prime because Dan Feldman is a part of our growing organization, but you can check that out. Nate and I are doing... ton of podcasts right now we're actually going to do um, best and worst contracts in the nba very soon that's i was doing my prep on that before finishing this up and 15 and 60s and gamers and everything else and also now you get the great work that nate does with john hollinger and seth Partno doing some writing for us which is so exciting i Love what he has brought to the table as well. So you can check all that out. I have written work at The Athletic. I, I brought this up actually in Dunkedown recently. I was working on a piece about, inspired by the conversation actually with Keith Smith last week on Real GM Radio about Miles Turner's situation. And then John Hollinger, great as he is, was on the same wavelength and wrote the piece before I could submit my editorial. So that's going to be on the back burner. But I have another piece that hopefully will be coming out on the sooner side. And then, you know, we'll see where else things go. The NBA strategy stream that Nate and I do with League Pass, that's going strong as well. We'll be back... On Thursday of next week, we're doing Pelicans Jazz. I believe it's a 9 Eastern, 6 Pacific start. Should be a really fun game. Two of the more fun watches in the league right now. If you have any feedback on the show, good, bad, or indifferent, Danny Larue nba, at gmail.com is the way to get it to me. If you take the time to write it, I will take the time to read it. That is an absolute promise. I admit to not being the greatest at replying, but I do read everything, and that's why I, I think of it as feedback, not necessarily a conversation, just you telling me stuff. And And I get great suggestions that way. So I really do appreciate it. So thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day.